leadership has become incredibly complicated. Workplaces are diversifying in ways we never could have imagined. So what's the biggest challenge to leadership? I'm Michelle Johnston, management professor, executive coach, and leadership expert. And I believe the biggest challenge to today's leader is connection. That's why I've written the book, The Seismic Shift in Leadership, and why we are putting together this podcast series. Through interviews with some of today's top business leaders, we are going to explore how leaders' ability to connect with themselves, their teams, and their organizations defines their ultimate success or failure. Now, on to today's episode. Everyone, I'm so excited to introduce you to my guest today. We go way back and we have great stories to share with you. His name is Robert LeBlanc. He is the founder, the CEO, the creative director of a super cool boutique hospitality company called LeBlanc Smith. And one of the most recent openings, um, it actually happened during the pandemic, was Hotel Chloe, which is here in New Orleans. All of Robert's properties are here in New Orleans. He also has Sylvain in the French Quarter, Barrel Proof, and then Longway Tavern was just turned into The Will and the Way. And that's the only one I haven't visited yet. But Robert was also not only this super successful owner of a boutique hospitality firm, but he was also one of my very best students um, at Loyola University, New Orleans. So welcome, Robert. Thanks for having me. I don't, best might be an overstatement. Uh, resi- <laughs> most resilient. I, went, I think it, from where I started, I ended up pretty good. That was a rocky start for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe we should just start with the rocky start that it, it really is a funny story. So you go ahead and, and tell well, the listeners. So I played college basketball, so I'm, I'm a big kid, 6'6". Six, six, so I was, I'm always uncomfortable um, sitting in front of anybody because I feel like I'm blocking people. And I'm also relatively understated and shy. My young 26-year-old doctoral professor uh, saw that and judged that as though I was slacking. And I was sitting next to one of my good friends, Hudson Ainsley, equally nice and polite guy. And she literally, the first five minutes of class, just came down on us and made us sit right in the front, right in the middle, because she thought we were back there so we could goof off and, and sleep and things like that. And then she asked me to present to the class. And again, being somewhat shy and a super hand talker at the time until she knocked that right out of me, almost literally. Um, she, she, it was a tough, that was a rocky first day. I was, I was humble, but I was confident in who I was and myself. And I gave a, what I thought was a incredibly moving presentation. And I think it was like a D plus. So <laughs> that was the start. I'm trying to control my laughter. That is, uh, you're right. I was such a, clearly, I felt like I had something to prove as a young professor. And I had just come from um, teaching at Auburn and teaching at LSU in in these huge, huge classes. And so I think I had gotten trained, you know, to kind of 
pick out the slack or make sure they're front row. But Loyola is such a different place and I hadn't adjusted yet. And it was this um, stadium style classroom. And when Robert walked in the back and sat in the back and I think he and Hudson were talking, I immediately put them in a front row, kind of like they're in elementary school. I don't do that anymore. My right in the middle. Row. Now, look, that was one of the best, probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. I, you know, I've said this to you tons, but I, I'd like to say it for the listeners. You know, you're, there's a few teachers that you have in your life that you think about things they taught you and you use it literally every day. And you were one of those teachers. So, you know, we, we laugh about it, but I'm, I'm grateful for that because I literally draw on things that you taught me on a daily basis. And I actually teach people the way that you taught me. And another huge thing that I learned in that class from you was you need to grade yourself against your best potential. So there weren't many professors at the time. You could just outperform everyone else in the class and you would get an A or you would, you know, you'd rank highly. And with you, and it wasn't just with me, it was with every, everybody in the class, you judged us not against everyone else. You judged us on, or graded, judge is not the appropriate word, graded us based on what you knew we were capable of. And, and, and to have someone that believes in you when you don't really know who you are, that's pretty moving stuff. And so I appreciate you for that. But that's something that I've taken. And I've, I've, I always tell you guys, if I can ever figure out this hospitality thing, I'm eventually going to go back and be a teacher at Loyola. The tweet that would be and fantastic. All, you brought up some really interesting things. And, and that's why we're here today to talk about the seismic shift. Um, the book that I just published and Robert is in the book. And I really wanted him to come on so that people could learn more um, than what is in the book about Robert's leadership. And the seismic shift started when I started teaching you all. You know, I started seeing, if you think about it, I entered in my 20s and you were a fifth year senior. And this was, you graduated, what, in 2000? So this is around 2000 when I came in and wanted to be a successful professor. I looked around and the successful professors were authoritarian. They were almost like military drill sergeants, you know, and, and very, very command and control and very strict. And that was the environment we were in. And that had been effective for a long time. Yeah. And I was on the front row in the in the classroom and then also as an executive coach seeing leaders use that style and not being effective anymore. It was a changing population as a result of of the millennials coming into the workplace saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want to be abused like my parents were. I want right. something bigger." And so I saw that shift and it took me a while to write the book, obviously, but the seismic shift, what I've realized is that command and control absolutely does not work anymore. Those type of leaders who subscribe to that style today end up creating cultures of fear in this toxic environment where employees don't feel seen, they don't feel valued, appreciated. So I, I kind of peddled back, like if, if that's what employees, and we've learned so much through the pandemic, what, why the great resignation has happened is because people had time to really think about what's important to them. So if you think about if employees want, and as humans, humans, we want to be seen, valued, heard, and appreciated, what type of leadership is going to get you there? And to me, my whole thesis of the book is it, it's about extraordinary connection. And that is why you are on the show today, Ro. You have a beautiful gift of connection. 
and you and you take it really seriously your role as a leader and so I want to I want to hear a little bit more about you. I I, I really I, I want I want to know from you, Ro. What do you think is the difference between just ordinary connection, which is the majority of what leaders do, and I'm sure you've had a lot of bosses like that. Ordinary connection to me is just transactional, mm-hmm. compared to extraordinary connection, which is what I think you need right now as a leader to motivate in this time we're in. You know, I guess there could be a simple way to answer the question. There could be a little bit more of an in-depth way to answer the question. I think it might help to explain from where I think that comes in my own experience. I, I always remember, even from a young age, I always enjoyed reading biographies. And and when you're in second, third, fourth grade, the biographies are, are fairly simple. But I do remember I've always enjoyed reading about people and I still feel that way. And I've always had an interest in people and I've also had an optimism when it comes to people. And so I think and, and seeing not only the best in them, but also seeing what I think they're capable of. And a lot of times in a leadership position, it's your responsibility to see things in people that they don't see in themselves. And I, and I think that's the fundamental reality of how we try to connect with people in today's day and age and how we try to lead is just believing in people's best, seeing their best. And, and even if they're not performing that way yet, or even if they don't see that themselves, you need to believe in them more than they believe in themselves. And that's how you get people to accomplish extraordinary things. God, you are so, so right. And again, it kind of goes back to, you, you picked it up. You're quite intuitive. You're, you're incredibly bright and, and intuitive. And so what you said earlier about you realized with me as my leadership style in the classroom was I saw so much potential in you and I was harder on you because I saw that. Yeah, and I want to be fair to you. That's exactly what I needed. And I don't think you were like those command and control professors. What was really interesting about you is you individually you went to where everybody was, every one of your students was. And to be fair, and I'm not being a braggart about this, but I did give a pretty rousing speech and people were laughing and it was interesting. It had a beginning, it had a middle, it had a strong close, but there were a lot of ums, there were a lot of pauses, there was way too much hand talking. Um, I wasn't paying attention to everybody in the room. I was fixated on one or two people. And so it's it just it was it was a perfect example of someone seeing all that you're capable of, even when you're doing a good job, but could be doing better. And you didn't, you didn't browbeat me. It wasn't a situation, you, you know, you led with the positive reinforcement of things that I did well. I don't even know what a strong, I didn't know what a strong close was until you told me um, that in class, but, but it's the details. And it was the the small things that you knew that I could be better than I was. And my, and you took that away. Uh, yeah. And a couple of things that I saw, I, I remember saying, Ro, you've got to bring more of your personality into the presentation Absolutely. because you were very serious and there's a, a time and a place for super serious presentations. But I think I also realized that you were going to be, you had, I just knew I saw it in you. You were going to be a great leader one day and you've got to inject your personality. And so we're, we're talking about these, you know, specific presentation skills in this business communication class in the year 2000, what I have learned, and, and I think you have too, is those soft skills, because you were a finance major, right? Econ, econ finance. Yeah, and I, I was the one professor teaching the soft skills. 
of, of business communication. And at that time, I remember feeling a little bit self-conscious, like, oh gosh, you know, why can't I be like my colleagues teaching the, you know, finance and accounting that, but now what we're seeing in leadership, it's the soft skills that make or break you. And it's the soft skills that are the hardest. hundred percent. They're also the most enjoyable. That's the, when you get that right, that's the, that's the juice. That's what gives leaders drive. That's to see someone succeed and gain in their confidence and in their perspective on life. That's, it's incredible. To grow as a human. And so what you're doing in your hospitality boutique firm and, and what I saw is in my interviews with you is that you really do, you want the very best for each person, even if that means that they're going to go outside of your company for a different job. That's Tell correct. me about that philosophy. Yeah. So when we, so, so LeBron Smith's vision is to create excellent 21st century Southern hospitality experiences to enable all people to live joyful, balanced and fulfilling lives and to develop great leaders. So as part of our retention, we're probably not growing fast enough. We're doing a good job with our training and development work. We're not growing fast enough to place everyone in general management positions or executive chef positions. So when we measure retention, if someone gets promoted out of the company, that does not count against us as retention. We actually consider that a success. So let's say we have a sous chef or let's say we have a floor manager who gets an executive chef position or a general manager position at another restaurant. That's a huge win for us. And the way that we treat that is they're still part of the team. So they still have access to anything that we can provide in the way of support or resources. When they come, they still get the employee discount it's it's a it's a celebratory thing for us and it's really changed the dynamic between us not only us and our existing team members but we have tons of great alumni throughout great restaurants all over the city that still feel like they're a part of this and 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 we let them know how much we appreciate their contribution because we wouldn't be here without the people before so it's been a really cool and and special dynamic and and also this idea of everyone becomes a teacher in this context and so the way that we describe being a teacher in your position is you just take the extra 10 or 15 seconds to teach why. So instead of just asking you to do something or showing you how we do things, if we take the extra 10 or 15 seconds to teach you why we do it, then you become learned and you can then teach not just what and how, but you can also teach why. And so that creates a culture of learning, growth, and understanding for everyone. And again, because, right, because you really want the best for them as humans. I mean, I posted on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago, there was a great New York Times article about no jerks allowed. And of course, there's been a movement. There was a a book used in, in the MBA program for a long time called No Assholes Allowed excuse my language. And yeah, so this, no. this isn't a, a new concept, but, but what I've realized is we as a global, um, as humans all across the planet, we don't have the resilience right now for abusive jerk bosses. We just don't. Yeah, I agree. Could not agree more. Also, the, the world is global. The workforce is global. You can get positions anywhere. You can work from anywhere um, for a company based anywhere. So you just there, there's too many good people in the world to to suffer fools in leadership these days and so i think that's one of the extraordinary things and i also think that's one of the social media's got a lot of challenges and i understand and agree with those but the one thing that i do think social media has done a really good job of is it creates transparency around everyone and it's really hard in today's day and age of social media if you're a jerk or if you're a bad person it's hard to keep that covered up with social media and camera phones. So 
uh, for all the challenges, I do think we need to give social media credit there. You are so right. And so typically entrepreneurs like yourself, they see an opportunity or problem and they solve it. And I'm assuming that you saw, t- tell us for, for the listeners who are to have not worked in the hospitality industry, what it typically is like, because what you've created is very different. Yeah. So the hospitality industry, and, and, and this is a, a pretty, this is a tale as old as time. It, you know, it's an industry typically that is, uh, comprised of a bunch of people who are really passionate about service. They're really passionate about food and wine. So they're really excited about what they do. And they, most of them see themselves almost as a, another form of live entertainment. Uh, instead of going to a concert or going to a play, you go to a restaurant and they take that really seriously. The problem with the industry though, is the way things have always been done has not always been respectful. And it's a, it's a, it's a strange industry where you pride yourself on working hard and working hard becomes almost a badge of honor. And there's nothing wrong with hard work. You'll always have to hard work, work hard, but too many people are succeeding in hospitality at a tremendous cost to their personal health, happiness, and relationship. Um, never saw friends developed drinking problems or drug problems because it's such a stressful environment physically get worn down because they're working 70 or 80 hours a week on their feet or with their hands. And so, you'd have this bifurcation in their lives where they had to make a choice, leave an industry they love and they're really good at to save their personal health, happiness and relationships, or commit to the industry and really compromise their personal health, happiness and relationships. And I think it's it's time for a paradigm shift in that industry. And I think one of the problems with our industry is we love to do things the way they've always been done. And we love to do things the hard way because it gives us, it allows us to show how tough we are, how strong we are. And we've got to really change that dynamic. So we started studying Toyota production systems, which is known as lean manufacturing, and looking at everything to seeing how we could do things more simply, how we could eliminate waste, wasted processing, wasted motion, wasted time, wasted effort. And just one by one, we tried to simplify everything. So we went from a series of 82 processes that had 213 responsibilities across a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis to 32 processes and 54 total responsibilities. And so just in simplifying, now those things are really important. There's a lot of work in that. But the idea is if we can work smarter, not harder, and we can be more effective in communication, which is a big part of it, that's another problem that has always plagued hospitality is people you're taught to suffer in silence. You're taught to turn the other cheek. You're taught to grin and bear it. You're not really taught to express how you feel. You're not taught to let people see you bleed. You're not taught to express how you feel. Um, and so when you start thinking about changing those two dynamics, it gets pretty interesting on the things that you can accomplish. And it's been a little choppy for us because we've had COVID outbur- outbreaks and we've had Hurricane Ida. But for the most part, I'll tell you in, in 2021, it's, it's worked. And so our goal is to have people work no more than 45 hours a week. We pay them at least 25% more than industry average or industry standards and to have them have two full days off and, and also to make it so that when they leave the threshold of the building, they literally leave work at the building as opposed to being tethered to their couch with a, with an iPad watching Netflix while they're returning emails and responding to texts from work. 
that's not really being off as you and I well know. So, so that's what we're working on and, and it's, and it's working. And the idea is if we prove this out and I do feel like in the third quarter and the fourth quarter, third quarter prior to, to Ida and then the fourth quarter, we proved it. And so the, the, the goal is the other thing, when we do that, we want to achieve at least twice industry standard profit margins as we do that. So, so the goal is once we prove that in our own businesses, you just open source it and you spread it to everybody who wants to learn. And you do that through, again, having people who understand and believe in this system promoted out of the company. So they go and lead other bars and restaurants and hotels, but also we'll sit with anybody who wants to see how it works and, and share it. It's not, it's not our goal to keep that as proprietary systems. Um, we want everybody to think about that. This podcast directly parallels my new book titled The Seismic Shift in Leadership, How to Thrive in a New Era of Connection. Through a series of revealing interviews with 18 of the world's most compelling leaders, I will show you how connecting with yourself, your teams, and your organizations can get you to the next level, whatever that might be. The Seismic Shift in Leadership is available right now on Amazon or wherever books are sold. For more information about the book, you can visit michellekjohnston.com. I'm just, I'm so impressed with you. Continue. I continue to be impressed with you because you continue to grow and evolve and disrupt. And that's my big thing right now as far as connection. You have to connect in order to disrupt. Yep. And I'm telling all my clients right now, if you're not disrupting right now, when are you? This is the time to disrupt. Rethink all processes, systems, who you hire, how you hire, when you work, who you work with. All, and but but and so you're disrupting, but you can't get to that disruptive stage successfully without truly connecting with your people. You are 100% correct. I mean, that's, that's the, that was the idea is this common purpose. So you, we had, to, I didn't do all that stuff by myself. I actually probably did less than 10% of it myself, but we, we had to connect with our team. And so the goal for us was in the wake of COVID, we had an opportunity to create an experience for people where they, instead of paying $45,000 to go to culinary school, they could work with our company and make at least $45,000 and learn everything they'd learn in culinary school and learn things that they might learn in a business school, things around strategy, culture, training and development, operations processes, sales and marketing, financial management. So um, we talked about that and that's, that's, that's the theme that we use to connect to get our leadership at each venue when we were shut down for three months, that's, those are the things that we worked on. And it was just connecting with that common purpose. And we, I feel like we're doing that pretty well right now. Yeah. How many rest? I don't know the stat of, of how many restaurants failed in new Orleans during COVID or nationally. I don't know, but it's bad. I, I don't know exactly the number. I would imagine it's close to 30%. If I had to, you know, just based on what I've seen. It's been a lot. So how have you all succeeded? What would you say is the secret sauce to your success during COVID? Incredibly resilient people who believe in the things that we believe in. Um, you know, we have five values in the company at LeBlanc Smith. We talk about them every day and, and how they manifest themselves. The first is, I see you, I love you, which essentially means every person counts. Every person should feel completely at home in our places um, and in the world. The second one is be inspiring. 
we have a platform to reach people and touch people. The third one is part of my language, but it's do cool shit and stay humble. Um, and we define cool as being comfortable in your own skin. We don't define that as it's defined in modern pop culture or vernacular. We want you to be comfortable in your own skin, but stay humble for the things that we accomplish and understand that we accomplish them as a result of tons of people in our personal and professional lives, including coworkers, including purveyors, including guests. The fourth one is teach why. We really want to create great leaders and we want to have a culture of learning and understanding. We want everybody to feel understood. So that applies to everything as it relates to your job, but it also applies to how you interact personally. If you're having a bad day or if you feel like you can't come in, just teach us why. You have to take your dog to the vet because he's really sick. Well, certainly do that. That's no problem. That's But that's more effective than just saying I can't come in today. You know, teach why. And the last but not least is create contagious joy. And we all know this, a smile, someone smiles at you, smile back. If someone laughs, it's hard to not laugh yourself. And so we, we believe that everybody in the world deserves to enjoy themselves at least a little bit uh, each and every day. So create contagious joy. So those are the five themes. And we talk about them all the time. And when you do that, what happens is you draw other people in who believe in those same things. That's where the connection comes. And I'm getting to your answer, but that's a long way of doing that. But we had a team made up of those people that believed in those things and they worked very hard to that end and they it was a cause for us it wasn't necessarily just a restaurant or just a restaurant company or, or a hospitality company and so when things got tough when they did they got really tough a bunch and they got we were closed we had no power for three weeks during ida but because those people all connected with the vision and with each other and believed we, we were able to survive and and thrive when a lot of people had really hard times and so that was that was it. And it's still it. We still tell people, you know, don't ever feel like you have to choose between your personal and your professional life here at LeBlanc Smith. If you have something, if you've got to go out of town for four or five days because your mom's having surgery, don't even don't sweat it. Um, if you need us uh, to cover anything, we'll do that. If you have a child that has to stay home from school, don't worry about it. You should never have any reservations about taking care of your personal life in regards to a threat of you're not having a job or you're getting in trouble with your job. And, and, and th those things, like when you lead out like that, when people are in these impossible situations, we had people that slept at the hotel for a week when there was no power just to make sure that it was okay to make sure that the physical space was in good shape and it didn't get vandalized and things like that. I mean, the, the people have gone above and beyond in the last two years, but it's, but it's because we all believe in this thing that we're working on. You're together. right. It's bigger than yourselves. You believe Absolutely. in each other and you believe in the purpose. And then the purpose is even, it's even bigger because then it, it just becomes, you want to cat, like you said, you, you want to cascade it out and share it. And, and you had mentioned those values, which I absolutely love. And I know you spent a long time thinking about those values and communicating those values. A lot of my clients have values, Ro, that just are up on the wall on a sheet of paper and they don't necessarily, I, I wouldn't say the employees are necessarily living the values because they don't really know how. Sure. So how have you connected the values so that your people understand what it means and why it's important? And could they, if I were to interview them, one of your employees today, would they be able to tell me the values like you just told me? Yeah. Um, so we, so we go over it at every meeting, you know, we, we spend, um, we use it to justify decision-making. And what we do is we say these values, this vision should make everything black and white. You shouldn't have a gray area. You shouldn't make a decision. That's, a, that's a, that's a, you know, 
these values will tell you if a decision is the right decision or the wrong decision. And if you understand the values, then you'll have a lot of reticence, a lot less reticence to make decisions. One of the things that we we find in hospitality in particular is the physical labor is not the most taxing aspect of it. It's the mental stress, the anxiety, the pressure people put on themselves. And so we talk about the values as a way to relieve that for them and in that they don't have to second guess and trust your instincts. You believe these things. We believe that you believe these things. And so you make your choices and you'll make some mistakes too. It's okay. Just when you make a mistake, this is not an environment where your head's going to roll. We think mistakes are learning opportunities and we're trying to grow and we're taking chances and we're trying to expand. So mistakes are part of that. Just make sure that you take responsibility to make it right to the team member or the guest that maybe suffered as a result of it. And if you do that, it's going to be a tremendous learning experience. And we are a learning and growth organization. So so we talk about that a lot. And it all comes back to the values. The values help you make those decisions with more confidence and clarity and simplicity. Um, the other thing we do is we train on it. You know, once every three months, we talk about the values and we give real world examples of how those come to life. Um, so the idea of I see you, I love you, we talk about that. The dishwasher who comes in from the restaurant next door and gets a hamburger and a beer and tips well for $30, he's just as important to us as the customer who comes in once or twice a week and orders wine off of the reserve wine list. They're both incredibly important. So we see both of them and we love both of them. And the brand new person who's a runner or a dishwasher is just as crucial to making sure that we have the tools that we need and the support that we need to create these amazing experiences for the guests. And so they're just as important as a chef or they're just as important as the beverage director. And we, and we talk about that and that's how I see you, I love you applies. And so we just go down the list like that and we give real world examples on how, how it applies. And we do that frequently. We, you just, it's just like any marketing or branding. You just, the frequency of messaging and the authenticity is, is really important. So, you know, you talk to me about personalizing when I speak and those values are very personal to me too. So thinking about that context, I've, I've always personalized the company in that way. I've never really tried to create a separate set of values or principles for the business that I don't necessarily believe in in my personal life. And I think that was a, another big lesson. You know, I, I kind of talked to you about how much I think about things that you taught me. I don't know that I've always talked to you about specific things or what those things are, but, th but that's another example of it. And that's where that comes from. And so when it's really personal and you live it every day and you set that example, you know, one other thing that I think is important to talk about in terms of connection and things that we really focus on is positive feedback. You've got to reward positive outcomes and behaviors, and you've got to pay attention to that more than you need to pay attention to people's failures. People are hard on themselves as it is. So if someone makes a mistake or if someone's deficient in an area, they already know it. So the way that we give feedback loops, the way that we hold people accountable, and we define accountability is not just negative feedback. People typically define accountability as you didn't do a good job of holding you accountable. Holding someone accountable has some context of non-performance. And we, we, we argue back on that. And we say accountability is not that at all. It's, it's feedback loops. And so accountability is positive feedback just as much and more importantly than it is constructive criticism. And so when someone performs well, we, you know, there, I probably send 14 or 15 thank you emails a week. Um, if I see something or I hear about somebody doing something or I'll personally acknowledge them when I see them in, in person and we try to get our leadership to focus on all the things that are going correct. I, I think it was a Harvard business review. Vern Harnish has this position too, but they said that you create excellent 
performance far more effectively by rewarding and reinforcing positive behaviors and outcomes than you do with the then taking an approach of perfectionism where all you focus on is the deficiencies. And I think that's 100% true. And so even when people are not performing or people are deficient in areas, you still owe them a feedback loop. But for us, that's not so much, ah, oh, you're terrible. What are you doing? You're screwing this up. It's more about, look, this is one of the expectations that we have of you and your job. You've obviously not been performing in this regard. What do you need from us to help you better understand or shore up this deficiency or to fix this problem or fix this mistake? And so we take responsibility as leaders that if someone's not performing, it's it's not always their fault. It's it's our fault. And even if they're not performing because they're not a good fit, that's still our fault because we haven't identified they're not a good fit. And so when you take that responsibility yourself as a leader, I think that's another way to really strongly connect a team because you've got to you've got to go where they are. And, and we're all human beings. We're all harder on ourselves and we all see ourselves, unfortunately. And sadly, we all see ourselves in a slightly less light than anyone else around us does. And so, you know, if you take the perspective, you see the light in someone and you show them the light, that's, that's another way to connect and lead that I think is essential to who we are. That, our listeners, is extraordinary connection. That's a perfect example of extraordinary connection. It's wild, Ro, because right now, I've, so many of my discussions with my leaders are revolving around how do I hold my people accountable? And we need to come up with a better way of talking about conflict because it's so negative. And, and how do we reward and not just focus on the things that they're not doing well? This is creating toxicity. Um, you just nailed it. You are absolutely right. This positive feedback loop. And yes, I saw that Harvard article too. And I've been changing the way that that I'm coaching. Like, don't just wait for the once a year performance appraisal and then tell them the yeah. three things that they need to do better. That does not work. I agree. Focus on the positive feedback loop. That's brilliant. Yeah. You know, the other thing that we really ascribe to since COVID that's been really helpful is more frequent, but more pointed and less lengthy meetings call them huddles. So it's a daily phone call for 10 minutes, you kind of go around the horn checking in to see what everybody's got working. Um, weekly meetings, um, we have breakout meetings and they typically, we try to keep the meetings to 30 minutes or less. But to your point in terms of conflict resolution, when you have that kind of frequency of communication, it becomes a lot easier to communicate conflict respectfully, but things don't fester, things don't you're not harboring things until you have the quarterly review to, 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 to sort of unload all of these things from the past quarter. The other thing is you can correct performance or you can sort out any issues or misunderstanding in almost a real-time basis, which increases the effectiveness of the company. And the thing that, that people take for granted is those more frequent but less lengthy meeting rhythms, not only are they better for connectivity and communication and conflict resolution and driving excellent performance, you would be shocked at how much more efficient it is for people in terms of time management, in terms of cutting down on lengthy emails or people texting and trying to get a meeting to have a conversation about this. Or, you know, we do our huddles at 840 in the morning. So if something pops up on somebody on our leadership team at, at 8.45 at night or 9 o'clock at night when we would typically sit up and send an email or send a text message and maybe disturb somebody who's either in a shift or who's with their family. 
we know that we're all going to talk at 840 the next morning. So we just sit on that until 840 the next morning. But the volume of emails, the volume of text messages and phone calls, the volume of people making one-off requests to talk about things, it, it's been eliminated. We, it's like maybe 10% of what it used to be because we know that we're communicating really effectively in these in these rhythms. That is a great way to wrap this up. I was going to ask you about your meetings because I remember your meetings are this beautiful way to connect. So if I'm hearing from you correctly, you think the key for true connection and and this positive feedback loop, and then ultimately when you have the connection, then you have disruption and then you have innovation, but you think it goes back to more frequent meetings and less time. More frequent meetings, less time. So, you know, a, a daily check-in phone call for 10 minutes, that's really organized. Everyone goes around the horn and shares what they learn that everybody else needs to know. So I had a great conversation with Liam and he's really excited about the prospect of doing a project in Nashville. And he's going to go to Nashville next week and look at locations. You guys need to know that stuff. So everybody goes around and they share that stuff. That's prevents down, that keeps everybody in the loop, prevents long emails. It prevents people forgetting to talk about something. And then everybody goes around and talks about the one or two things that they're working on that day. And it's not going to the bank to make a deposit. It's things that are in line with the things that we agreed to being our quarterly goals. So if I say that I am um, going to go do research on yoga studios, then my team can hold me accountable and say, well, look, we didn't really talk about doing yoga studios through LeBlanc and Smith the next quarter. We did talk about doing a hotel in Nashville and a barrel proof in Nashville. So maybe instead of focusing on yoga studios, maybe you can think about doing analytics in, in Nashville. And so it's a, it's a good, not accountability loop, but it makes everybody accountable to focusing on the things that really drive the company forward. And then the last thing is stucks and the stucks are anything that you need from someone else that's typically expressed in an email, or that's what's typically expressed in a follow-up phone call or a text, or can I meet with you about it? We just call it stucks. Um, Robert, I need access to online banking for the new Hancock Whitney account at Anna's. Can you set that up for me? And then everybody, that's 10 minutes. And that's that, that literally is, is communication for the day sometimes. And that's all you need. Um, and then you come back in the next morning. These are daily yeah. huddles with your leadership team. Do you then have one-on-ones? What, uh, what else is a part of your operating rhythm? So we have weekly meetings, which are typically 35 to 40 minutes. Um, we start those with personal highs and personal lows from the week. We... To your point of connectivity, we're all human beings. Um, and if someone's overwhelmed, whether personally or professionally, they're never really going to be able to perform well. And sometimes people need to be human beings before they need to be CEOs and COOs and things along those lines. So we start with personal highs and personal lows. Um, it doesn't have to get super intimate or personal, but you got to you to hear somebody's struggling with sleeping or someone's dad has COVID or um, and it allows you to understand where people are. And that's the context of the meeting. And then we go around and just talk about the priorities and like our one thing that we're going to do this week that advances us to the priorities and then any problems we need to solve, any troubleshooting. Um, so we have those meetings weekly. And then if something comes up in that meeting that would require a separate one-on-one or a follow-up, we call that a parking lot. And then we just get on a parking lot call. So um, that's that's our rhythms. And then we do that with venue leadership too. Venue leadership's the same way. They have their huddles and then they, then they have their weekly meetings. And I proactively try to call every venue lead at least once a week, just for two or three minutes to see if they need anything. Most times they don't and they're great, but sometimes they do. And if I hadn't called and invited them. And I think that's something else with connectivity for leaders. 
it's our responsibility to go first. We need to give people the open door invitation to express what they need from us. We always assume and we say, oh, we have, you just come to me anytime. Let me know what you need. That's not an invitation. You need to prompt invitations more frequently if you really want honest communication and connectivity. So that's something I try to do on a weekly basis. Just check in with a phone call or a text just to make sure everybody's okay and see if they need anything from me. Ro, you are an extraordinary communicator, an extraordinary leader. I'm just so thrilled That was not always the case. That was not I'm always the case. For you. I'm just I'm thrilled for you. I don't know how else to say it. Everything that you say is what I truly have seen, what I believe in, and very few leaders are executing. And you are executing and, and making sure your people know that they're important, they're seen, they're valued, they're appreciated. And you're and and just that that example, and, and we'll wrap up with that of saying we recognize that our people are humans first. And so we're gonna begin our weekly meetings with some of my leaders call it happy crappy, which I think is hysterical. You know, we begin with happy crappy. Like <laughs> What's like making it. you happy? What's kind of a crap thing this week? Um, but, you know, on a scale, YPO does it, as you well know, on a scale of one to 10, personal family business, just something to connect um, before you get down to business. Because, and I'll end it with this, because I think that that seismic shift that has happened is it used to be ordinary connection was just transactional. It was not treat you like a human. It was treat you like a worker. What did you accomplish for me today? And I don't really want to know about you as a human. And it takes extraordinary connection today to really thrive in this new era of work. And I can't thank you enough. You're amazing. No, thank you. Thanks for uh, being such a great influence and mentor. Um, I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on Seismic Shift. And before you go, can I ask one favor of you? Do you mind sharing today's episode with a leader you know? The power of this conversation is found in you using it and sharing it to create real connection in your life. Lastly, I'd like to thank Loyola University New Orleans and the Terra Firma audio team for helping bring this content to life.